Good morning, OBC Radio. My name is Corey Rosen, and you're listening to The Story Podcast. And today I have on a super awesome guest, Mr. Eric Orsing. Eric began his musical journey career with piano at the age of five. Shortly after beginning with piano, he also studied violin and drums. But at the age of 12, and that's when Eric received his first electric guitar. He realized his true passion and path in his musical life and has not put it down since. In the 30 plus years since, Striking those first notes, he has been deeply involved with music. Eric's obsession for the guitar led him to Berklee College of Music in Boston, Massachusetts in 1999. After leaving Berkeley with his future wife, Julie Schreiber, they moved to Harrisburg, PA, where Eric performed in the Julie Schreiber Band, sharing the stage with such acts as Hailstorm, Lowen and Navarro, and the Badleys, and many, many more. While in Central PA, Eric taught guitar and bass professionally for 20 plus years. Eric advanced his own study of guitar through instruction from bebop jazz guitar legend Pat Martino as well as world-renowned fusion guitarist Greg Howe. In 2008, Howe hired Eric to transcribe and design the official guitar tab book for his most well-known album, Introspection. After teaching professionally for a few years in 2011, Eric opened the doors to the Perfect Fifth Musical Arts Center in Mechanicsburg, where he was dedicated to bringing the best quality music education to the reason. Eric kicked off the grand opening of the Perfect Fifth by arranging a master class with featuring world-renowned Grammy artist, Grammy award-winning guitarist, icon, Steve Vai. In 2015, Eric co-founded the Central PA-based award-winning Rush tribute band, Solar Federation, considered one of the premier female-funded Rush tribute bands in the world. Solar Federation continues to perform to this day. Currently, Eric is also studying with Berkeley professor Bruce Barlett to advance his understanding of jazz guitar. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. You have a, a whole life, as most <laughs> of us do. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting old. <laughs> So tell me, you uh, started off with playing uh, piano. Was that a thing you wanted to do, or is that a thing your parents said, okay, just go uh, play piano? Well, I, you know, I'm glad you, you started with that. Um, <clears throat> you know, when I was young, uh, I remember it, this all started with my mom. Mm. My mom uh, has, she's a voice teacher now um, at the Pollock Center in Camp Hill, but she she was an opera singer when I was a kid and really? uh, also a classical pianist. She has a master's degree in both. So I grew up hearing classical music in our house. And I think if you talk to a lot of um, musicians, like piano is a great instrument to get started on because it, it's very visual. It, yeah. And it lays out like the music theory system in Western culture. It kind of lays it out in a very visual way. So I'm glad I started on the piano. It, I, was, I wasn't passionate about it like I am guitar, mm -hmm. though. And so I didn't practice as much as I do, you know, but I'm but that's how I started. I was about five years old when I started in the piano. And uh, then I think I did that for about five years. <laughs> I always remember this one recital. I was so young. It was uh, at a neighbor's house who taught piano. And I remember. I started off my little piece and I was so nervous and I messed up and then I stopped and I looked around and looked at everybody in the audience and everybody started laughing. 
And then I continued and I somehow made it through the song, but that's one of my earliest memories of playing the piano and performing. That's great. That's uh, also really funny because that's like the worst thing you could ever do if you ever mess up is to stop and like look around. Yeah, that, and I definitely did that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you started with piano and then you weren't really passionate about it, but you also went into violin and drums. Why? I think um, I always gravitated towards like uh, the toy guitars and stringed instruments. Mm. So I think my my parents were just like, oh, well, let's try violin. You know, and I was like, oh, that sounds cool. And I, I still to this day really like violin. But again, it's not it didn't like strike me, you know, and uh, I played it for a number of months and didn't practice as much as I should have. And uh, <clears throat> I think, you know, if you find your instrument, you you don't really have to force yourself to practice as much. You right. just want to. It, it also depends on, you know, maybe having the right teacher to start you out that inspires you too. But I, I just wasn't my thing, you know, but I, again, I still love the violin. I think it's an awesome instrument. Incredible instrument and incredible violin players around here too. Yeah. Uh, drums? Uh, that uh, drums, I played that starting in middle school. I played the snare drum. Mm. Uh, and then eventually when I got into high school, they needed a someone to play the drum set for the jazz band. And I was kind of like the only guy. So <laughs> I don't think I did a great job because I, again, I had no way of practicing the drums at home. So I did what I could. <laughs> I'm sure I, I uh, angered my my uh, band teacher at that point. But um, at the same time, though, that I was playing the drums, I had started guitar. Mm -hmm. So tell me that experience, because that was something that really struck you, apparently. Yeah, and I mean, I, th I think you mentioned I started at 12. Uh, and I remember uh, I got my first guitar for Christmas. Mm -hmm. And I'd been bugging my parents for a while. And I, they got me a Strat copy. I think it was made in Taiwan and it was like red and with a white pick guard. And I was so excited. I thought that was the coolest thing. And I got a little Dean Markley practice amp and I had no idea what to do on the guitar. Right. Of course. I was listening to Metallica at that time and that's what I wanted to play. So shortly after, um we got lessons and the first teacher that they found uh tried to open up a book in front of me and have me read music and i just was not having it and, and you know now i look back and it actually probably would have been smarter for me to do to just hunker down and do that because i would be a super good sight reader by now but i almost quit the guitar after about three months with the, the first oh, person wow. he just wasn't the right teacher for me yeah then I started with Kevin Wire, and he was like a rock guy. And I was like hooked. He like inspired me to, you know, get into Van Halen and all that stuff. And that's really took off. And I loved guitar from then on. So you started off with guitar. And at what point do you start uh, like performing with other people and working with like bands? You know, that's something that I wish I would have uh pursued more i was kind of a shy kid mm -hmm. and there wasn't a lot of music opportunities where i grew up i grew up in olympia washington and uh i, I and i wasn't good at seeking those out so you know i played some i think the first band that i was in 
I forget the name we had for it, but it was, it, it was with a bunch of older guys who were like 21 and I was like 14, right? you know, and I was like playing all these Eddie Van Halen riffs, you know, and stuff like that. And I, I got pretty decent for my age. So that was my first band. I think we played a couple parties. Um, it only lasted for about a year. Mm. You know, then I just kind of seeked out other little opportunities to perform, but I didn't get a chance to perform a ton. You know, um, it wasn't until, you know, I got to Berkeley that I really got to perform a lot more. Yeah, so tell me, why why did you go to Berkeley? That's, that's a big move from across the country. Well, and, and that's, a group, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I went to Berkeley because I, I, my, you know, my parents, they weren't really into rock. They mm. didn't know that whole scene. They didn't know how to get into it. And I didn't know how to get into it. And I knew I loved that stuff, like like Steve I, right? You know, and Eddie and all those bands. And I was like, you know, Berkeley College of Music was kind of like a, a lighthouse in the distance for me. I was like, okay, I want something to happen. So there's this lighthouse in the distance. There's this light, and I'll I'll go there and hopefully something will happen. Mm. You know, so and I knew Steve I went there. Oh, okay. You know, and, and some other <laughs> notable uh, musician. So I auditioned and got in and uh, I remember flying out there for my audition. And um, I was, I'd never been in a huge city like that before and all by myself. And it was thrilling. And then I, you know, I did my audition, flew home, forgot to uh, loosen the strings on my jazz guitar. And then I started to tune it up when I got home and I was like, why is it going flat every time I tune it up? And then I looked up and the headstock was bent forward like this. And tell, tell the guitarist why you should loosen your uh, guitar strings on a flight. Well, it's because the, you know, just the air, uh, it's dry up there, but it's also the air temperature, you know, is it's cold. Yeah. And there's different pressure. So your neck can fluctuate. And if you have your strings, you know, the string tension is tight. And I had like 13 gauge strings on my guitar for oh, jazz wow. at that point. Yeah. So it's it puts a lot of pressure on the neck and it's just better to loosen the strings so it doesn't have all this tension on it. Interesting. I never, I, I knew, I never, I knew like uh, air temperature warped it, but I never thought, I never applied that to flight. Yeah, I mean, it's any sort of like, you know, different times of the year with different humidity levels and temperatures always like make, you know, the, I mean, wood has some sort of water, right. you know, and resin in it. And it, if it gets to different temperatures, it, it warps. Yeah. So uh, you come back and when did you find out that you were accepted to Berkeley and how did that feel for you? Um, I think I got a letter in the mail and I, I was just, I was very excited. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to Berkeley. What'd your parents think about that? Uh, they were very happy. My parents were always supportive of, you know, my passions and they knew I, I mean, they saw how much I practiced and, you know, I think my mom was probably very uh, happy to see me, you know, pursuing music. That's good. You know? So you move out to Boston, you, you go to Berkeley. Uh, I'm sure it was a gigantic culture shock for you going to small town USA, rural, rural USA to being metropolis. Mm -hmm. Yes. What was that like? How, especially as a shy kid, as an introvert, I guess. Uh, what was that like for you? It was exciting. Um, at the same time, you know, I was definitely out of my element. 
you know, people in Boston are what, what I one of the biggest differences between the West Coast and the East Coast is on the East Coast, people will tell you to your face what they're thinking. Very you know, direct here. Yeah. And I mean, uh, people are assertive, you know, and I think there's something really good about that because you know what they're thinking. Whereas on the West Coast, a lot of times people are nice to your face and then, you know, they go around behind your back. And yeah. Stuff. But, but yeah. they're both, it's not one's not better than the other. And I mean, I, I shouldn't generalize that. No, much, each has their advantages yeah. and it's definitely to yeah. each person, but I definitely up, up Northeast, especially they're very direct. Yeah. Especially in Boston. Yeah. Boston and New York both. Yeah. And it was, it was exciting though at the same time. So what, what was one of your favorite colleges, college experiences in Berkeley? Oh, wow. That's, that's hard to think of. Um, Ah, man, I don't even know where to start. Uh, I would say performing, you know, on stage with my wife mm. at, at the Berkeley uh, um, Performance Theater. You know, uh, she, she'd been there a couple of years before I got there. And, you know, she had a, a, a band, you know, and uh, I got to play with the band and play with her on stage. And that was a lot of fun. Were you guys dating at the time or were you just like friends at the time? Well, Julie and I actually the, I, I can, I, I'm sure she's listening and she's probably like, Oh, you're going to tell the story of how we <laughs> met. And yes, I am. This is the story podcast. It's kind of a fun story. Julie is very good at mimicking animals with her voice. Really? <laughs> yeah. And I remember I was sitting, I think this was my, third semester there maybe it may have been my second semester and i remember my friend kelly kamenicki and i were sitting in kelly is a guy and uh, we were sitting in the cafeteria at the at berkeley and there was really nobody there except for these two girls sitting behind us and all of a sudden i hear this uh it's like a dolphin sound and i'm like what was that and i turn around and i i look at julie and she kind of looks at me like, excuse me. And, and I'm like, I'm like, was that you? She's like, no. And so then I turn around and I hear it again. And I turn around and I'm like, that was you. And then eventually uh, Kelly and I sat with, with Julie and her friend and were talking with them. That's the first time I met Julie. Then I think the next semester, uh, um, this, this is where we officially met. Um, I was sitting with my friend Taylor and Julie walks in and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's that girl with the curly hair. And she had just released her first CD that mm. day. And she, and Taylor was like, Oh, you got to meet my friend Julie. And so Julie comes in and sits down and we're chatting and um, Julie gives me one of her CDs. And uh, that was pretty much that just chatted for a couple seconds. I went back to my room and listened to that CD. And something like struck me about that CD, like the first song, Internal Sky. I heard something in that that just struck my soul. Mm. And then every time I would walk into the cafeteria from then on, Julie and I would look at each other and smile. And eventually we just chatted and she gave me her number and then we had our first date. And we've pretty much been locked at the hip since i mean she became my best friend immediately 
Awesome. And I'm, I feel very lucky to have met her. And I feel bad sometimes because all my friends at Berkeley that I had at that point that I hung out with every day, I, I just stopped hanging out with them. Mm. I just wanted to hang out with Julie every day. And I, I think they look back now and understand. Right. Yeah. Sure thing. <clears throat> Julie is watching. You have to, uh, oh, Julie, Hi, I, want Julie. You on, I want you on the show. And you'll have to uh, see if you can still hear dolphin noises. I'm very interested. <laughs> so <clears throat> you, you joined her band. Was that your first band experience? Um, no, I'd been in a couple like bands before then. It just wasn't a ton of performance. Like, gotcha. You know, but um, the way I got into her band was, uh, I think at that point, you know, we weren't, I wasn't really thinking of getting in her band and she wasn't, she had a guitarist at that point. Right. But she had this show at the Whitaker Center that was coming up and her guitarist uh bailed out two weeks before the show and so she's like eric do you think you and i was like yeah yeah let me see so um that's how i started with the julie schreiber band <clears throat> and ever since then i was in the julie schreiber band and so uh after berkeley you guys decided to move to harrisburg why harrisburg um I think because, I mean, it was a lot easier to go there than all the way over to Washington State. And I think, you know, both my brother and I actually gravitated towards the East Coast because there's a lot of opportunities here, mm -hmm. you know, for musicians. Um, L.A. also, too, but in Nashville, I believe. But I think we just saw a lot more opportunities on this coast. And, I mean, it just was a lot easier to move to Harrisburg. Also, Harrisburg it's close to a lot of big cities yes. within driving distance. So, and Julie had lived in Harrisburg for a long time. So it just, you know, made sense. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's what I love about the central PA region. And no matter if you're in like York, Harrisburg, Lancaster, even, uh, or even Hershey, like Philadelphia is like about an hour's drive. DC, Washington area is about two hours drive. Pittsburgh, if you want to go that far is three, four hours, New York, New York, three hours. Exactly. Even if you want to go up, north to back to boston it's only six hours so it's only six hours but still it's dry yeah. it's drivable it's drivable yeah anything is drivable within a day and you can go here's the great thing about the east coast it's all so small that once you're in new york it's a really easy drive to boston once you're in the uh uh once you're in dc it's a really easy drive down to virginia and all these other places yeah and i haven't i actually haven't been to boston uh, I think one time when Julie graduated after we left, um, but I, I would love to go up there and I'm sure it looks totally different, but I'd love to go back and check out Boston. I've heard there's a lot of toll roads. I'm sure. And they're probably very expensive. <laughs> yeah. We, we went up to Boston for uh, the spring break. I told a story yesterday. How was it? April fool's prank of my friends, <laughs> but uh, long story short, we went up there and at toll roads, I think we came back with $200 worth of tolls. And I was like, what? I know whenever uh, Julie and I have had to go to Long Island, uh, there's like some tolls that are like $30 each. And it's like, why? Yeah. I, I probably be because, it's probably because the there's so much upkeep oh, on yeah. those bridges because there's the, – I, I was like blown away when we went to um, Long Island for the first time. Uh, I forget what the road is called, but it's like this highway where everybody – you know, New York drivers are like surgical. They yes. like drive super fast 
but they're actually pretty talented. Pretty precision, yeah. And but it was like it seemed to me at that point like it was like a hundred lanes. It was like too much to process all these cars going really fast and like all these lanes and I think there's a lot of upkeep that goes on with those. Oh, I'm sure. I I don't. I'm not. I'm upset about it in the fact that it's expensive, but I'm sure that it's required. (laughs) Yeah, I don't like it either, but it's probably. Yeah, it's probably necessary. So you come down to Harrisburg, you, uh, you're still playing with the Julie Shriver band and you play around with Hailstorm, Lawan and Navarro. And tell me about all of those experiences. Um, I think that, uh, I would say like with Hailstorm, <clears throat> that's a notable one to talk about. Cause I mean, Hailstorm is like, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, and you know, it, it doesn't really surprise me so much mm. that they made it because I remember, uh, Liz and RJ playing at uh i think it was the midtown tavern in harrisburg HMAC? Did you I, go to I, Center? I don't think it was hmac it, oh, yeah. this i don't know if this place still exists oh i see but i remember going in there and like i think liz was maybe 16 or 17 and she just had this amazing voice like a rock voice uh and could play the piano and they, they were just so into it and their parents were were very supportive of them and they worked their butts off and uh so it, it doesn't surprise me because they have the talent and they worked very hard and i'm sure they still work very hard and we've seen liz a couple times since and they're still extremely down to earth very nice people you know right. even though that you know i think liz is becoming like a joan jet type of figure like really? a, an icon that's awesome you know, so, but I think we, I think we opened, <laughs> we had them open for us. You had them open for you guys. Well, it, it's interesting. Um, we put this show together at stage two at the Whitaker Center once. And we asked them to open for us. But I'm like, I'm like, Julie, it, it's kind of going to go down in volume level if, if they open for us and then we play, you know, because they're, they're more of a heavier band. Yeah. So we had them basically play a second because I just felt like oh, okay. the volume level should go up in the show and there should be a, there should more. be a, uh, a crescendo to a, a climax. Yeah, yeah. So that was like uh, that was one of the times we opened or they opened for us or whatever. Whatever happened. <laughs> yeah, and it, I can't remember the other times. Lowen Navarro, I think, was more Julie, mm. um, but she knew of them because they've. Julie would remember this, but um, Lone and Navarro, they're like uh, great songwriters. Mm. Um, so I think they wrote some very famous songs that other artists made famous, you know. Um, so they're well known in that way. Um, I think we, the Badleys, I think we opened for them on a New Year's Eve at the Whitaker Center, which was pretty cool. You know, because they're a pretty pretty legit band. Yeah, and they're back, back at. Yeah, it. I saw it, the Englewood. I think they played at the Englewood uh, not too long yes, ago. Yes, they did a few weeks ago. Yeah, I'm really excited uh, for the Bally's return because I was just listening to their music the other day and I was like, wow. Yeah, they look great and they sound great. That's know? awesome. So uh, you you started teaching bass and guitar, and then you uh, met and started to. Uh, expand your knowledge through these guitar artists. 
why did you feel the need that you wanted to expand your guitar knowledge? You know, I, 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 I love playing guitar and I always want to learn. I always want to be able to understand uh, how to play something that I don't already know how to play. So right. like, I mean, I always thought that if you can play jazz pretty well, um, yeah, it, because you have to know the guitar neck very well to be able to improvise those lines, you know, over these complex chord progressions. Right. And so you have to know a lot of music theory. You have to know the guitar neck very well. So it, it kind of gives you a good start, you know, of like, how do you improvise? Oh, mm. You know, sequences, patterns, you know, like, how do you, how do you, you know, use arpeggios, scales, all that kind of stuff. You know, and it, it pretty much you can apply that to if I wanted to enhance my blues playing, I can apply the exact same things, you know. So it's really gives you a good base. It's it's kind of like taking if you want to be a vocalist, you know, um, I think it's uh, a good idea to start with classical oh, voice yeah. training because you learn how to protect your voice and breathe properly. And my mom and wife are both good singers, so... I, you know, I've kind of picked up a few things from them, but I, I, you learn how to protect your voice more when you study classical and then you can dip your toe into like, okay, well, here's how I can belt. Yes. But I know when it's starting to hurt my voice. Yeah. It's always good to know uh, the very basics or the very foundations of your instruments. So that way you can apply it to anything else. Like, like you said, learning how to work your way around the neck is going to be instrumental to uh, pardon the pun uh to any other genre because you can apply certain things to certain genres and you're going to make your style more unique because all the rock players probably haven't learned jazz yeah and all the jazz players probably haven't learned rock uh because they're you know quite separate genres I, and you uh utilizing different techniques from both create something really unique and a really cool sound that isn't heard often yeah and it well see i love all those genres i there's something about all of them that i enjoy you know so i'm not a like oh i hate this genre you know i i enjoy you know metal blues rock fusion jazz and country as well and country probably is the only style of guitar i ha i haven't studied a ton you know like i i love Brad Paisley, you know, and Brent Mason and, you know, um, all those, you know, I think Vince Gill, you know, they're all like, I love that style. I just haven't studied it as much. So you uh, started get, teaching guitar and then what were some of the most valuable lessons you took away from Pat Martino or Greg Howe? Well, Pat Martino, I, I think I only took one or two lessons from him because he was you know, he's like a legend, so right, he's like expensive. And I also had to travel two hours for every lesson. Mm. This was before the internet really, you know, you, where you could actually like do virtual lessons. And I remember the, what I learned from Pat, there's a little more backstory to Pat Martino though. <clears throat> when I started to really get into jazz, um, one of my guitar teachers, when I was at, I was at a community college before I went to Berkeley to just get some of the courses that I didn't need to take at Berkeley out right. of the way. And I had a guitar teacher up there and he introduced me to Pat Martino's music. And I, 
I was like, oh, that's like, that's, I love, you know, and I always say to people in every genre, you can find someone who really resonates with you. And Pat Martino, I just loved his style. So I just got really into his stuff and like started to memorize it and such. And eventually I was like, oh yeah, he teaches in Philadelphia. And I sent an email and lo and behold. Yeah. And I was very nervous when I got there. And he is such, uh, unfortunately, he passed away mm. uh, not too long ago. I think it was maybe three years ago, something like that. Um, he's an amazing person, but he is exceptionally smart. And I like when I'd ask him a question, I mean, it was probably a stupid question knowing me, but he would like, he'd analyze your question. And I was like, oh no, I'm, I made him pissed off. But then I realized he wasn't pissed off. He was just really answering my question in detail. But I, the things I learned from Pat Martino, like studying his style and going for a lesson, was Pat basically takes something that's very complex and he condenses it into something simple. It's called Quite conversion sense. to minor. And it's where, like, when he looks at a jazz piece, he just thinks, okay, um, I'm going to take a minor seventh chord, the two chord, right? Because jazz is made up of two, five, ones. Two, five, ones, yep. So if he sees a two, five, one um, over the two, he's just going to play the two arpeggio and lines based off of that chord shape, you know, in different places on the neck. But then when it switches, the two and the five, they're kind of in the same tension family. And then when it goes to one, he then, I think he usually would, would then use the, third degree of the scale, but the minor chord from that. So everything's based off of converting it to minor chords. So then all he has to do is think of that shape and everything. I think it's a little more complex than that, but that's kind of just a simple explanation of it. But just a brilliant person. And he actually had, um, he was about to have an aneurysm in 1980. Um, And he went to the hospital and they were like, "Uh, we have to do surgery on your brain. You're about to have an aneurysm. So he got that surgery and then he forgot everything. Blank, really? Blank after he woke up. Didn't know how to play guitar, didn't remember anything. Some of it came back, but he basically studied himself and within about four years learned how to play guitar again. That's wild. Yeah, so he's got an amazing story. Um, Greg Howe, you yeah. also mentioned him. When I was at Berkeley, I heard one of his CDs. I think it was Parallax. And I was like, oh, my God. This guy's like all my favorite guitarists wrapped into one. It's like jazz, Eddie Van Halen type of stuff, blues. And I just like loved his playing. And I sent an, again, you know, I, I will reach out to anybody. I don't care. Right. And a lot, sometimes they get back to you. Yeah. And so I reached out to his website. A year later, I got an email back. And so then Julie came with me and we drove up and, and took, I took some, a bunch of lessons from him. And I think he lived in Easton PA at that point. He lived, he moved a long time right. ago, but we became friends with him and uh, his fiance. And eventually they asked me to do that, that book. Cause they knew I went to Berkeley and I was like, um, I think I can transcribe that, you know, cause I knew music notation. And so then I basically, 
kind of figured out like how does how do you make these how leonard type really professional looking tab books so i got a, a program that kind of put it all together and made it look really nice and then i figured out how to get one of those books printed so then i started the long process of transcribing uh his songs which is very uh time consuming, time consuming yeah well and he has a very he has these huge hands and a very uh different way of playing the guitar so you'll hear this stuff and you're like that doesn't make sense yeah how is he playing that but but then what was awesome about it is i think every two weeks i would meet with him for like an hour or two and we'd go over everything i had transcribed to just make sure it was accurate you know so i got to meet with him and do lessons that's and cool. ask him stuff so that's how that went you know um but yeah at this point now i'm you know, years later, I'm taken from a Berkeley teacher again. So, so uh, well, after teaching for a while, you started to create your own little studio and a perfect hit, perfect fifth. Tell me about that. Well, th that started, um, I used to, I started teaching at Ray's Music House, you know, that it's no longer exists, unfortunately. And uh, then I moved across the street to where Do Re Mi Pianos was and taught there for a while. And one of my students came in and he was like, hey, I have a building on the Carlisle Pike. Um, I want to start a music school. And so I'm the kind of guy who like, if I don't know how to do something, I'll just jump into it and <laughs> I'll figure out how to do it. But, you know, now I look back and, you know, that was kind of my first business that I had ever started. I had no idea what I was doing um and you know it's i would probably would have done some things differently but uh yeah i'm glad i i started that though so i moved out of my little studio in um in lemoyne and moved into that building which i think the building's been torn down at this mm. point but uh i moved in and then just every day i was you know looking for I'd start to scour the earth for, um, I wanted to put it together a place that had the best teachers in the area, you know, and really get a reputation of like, this is the place to go where most of the best teachers are, you know, high quality. And that's, that's what I wanted is everything high quality. The place looked nice. Um, it had great teachers there and it started to grow. And then um, one thing I think we were going to talk about was the whole Steve Vai masterclass. Yes, I want to know how that happened. Well, we wanted to do something big for our grand opening. And again, I like to dream big. Right. And so I was like, let's get like, you know, let's bring uh, let's bring some like really like well-known people into the Harrisburg area because I think people would love that. You know, and I just, Steve Vai popped into my head. You know, and then um, I think what really... The, the two things that got Steve I out here was the timing. He was between albums and had, he likes to do like music, uh, like schools, like, like this was like a school that was trying to do something good for kids, you know, and be an arts place. And Steve I, I think likes that he likes, you know, educating and, and helping a school out. So I think there was that, and he was in between albums. Um, and then also we had, um, you know, a little bit of a budget, uh, to, to pay him to, you know, come out. Right. So you have to pay. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Of course. Um, and also, you know, um, 
we were at that point working with a guy named Terry, um, who's, you know, he's got experience managing bands and stuff like that. And I think you really know how to, you have to know how to word an email when you send it to a manager of someone like Steve Vai, and he knew how to do that. So it was all those things coming together. So then once they were like, okay, we'll do this. Um, you know, I think a lot of, I remember a lot of people volunteering their time to like, you know, stuff pamphlets and get the word out. Um, so there was a lot of people involved in that. And then, you know, I was always good at organizing things. So, uh, you know, I did the graphics for a lot of the, um, posters and stuff and website. Um, I kind of organized where it was going to be the Whitaker center and worked with them. Um, I also did a lot of back and forth with like DeMarzio, mm. you know, and the different companies that endorsed. I think Ibanez sent some guitars out, cool. you know, for a giveaway and for us to, you know, uh, we had Steve sign. So there was a lot that went into it. I remember planning that for like four or five months. And then it happened, uh, I forget the actual date, but it was in, at the end of 2011. And there was this historic flood the same oh, week. No. And so our Julie and I, our house, the basement was flooded. And I had to do that at the same time. So it was pretty crazy. And then I remember uh, Steve, the day he flew in, um, number one, he cut his hair. So I don't know. I think he, <laughs> I don't know why he cut his hair from the normal uh, thing that he had. But so I didn't recognize him at first. But I walked into the airport and there's this guy standing with a guitar and I'm like, Steve. And, and so then we, you know, drove him to his hotel and got him set up there. And then the next day was the, uh, the actual, um, masterclass and, uh, it went off pretty well, you know? So I can't imagine anything with the talent level of Steve Vai would go wrong. <laughs> uh, he's just incredible. And I mean, we had, uh, Justin Hershey, who like I've worked with, he's like a sound guy in the area. I think he's part owner or or the owner of Rock Mill Industries, where we get oh, our merch. Nice. Yeah. Um, I think um, Logan Sumney also is part of that. Uh, he used to be, uh, man, I can't remember the name of the band. Uh, it's, it's been so long, but well, anyways, look up Rock Mill Industries. But so basically, um, Justin did the sound. So. I felt like he was in good hands. Like, so he made Steve sound amazing there. And Steve, like he, he just, it was incredible seeing him play all that stuff right in front of your face, you know, and like just his performing and, uh, it, it was, it was very cool. Uh, it was a quite an experience and I still have people every once in a while, like, Hey man, that was so cool. I still remember that when you brought Steve I out. That's always yeah. a good one. People remember it down the line. Yeah. But it, it was a lot of people that kind of helped that yeah. come together. And then, you know, the perfect fifth kind of over time got a, a good reputation for having great teachers. And unfortunately, I think in the end, um, you know, uh, some of the different people involved, like my business partner, he wanted to go a different direction with it. You know, and I was starting to get burned out after four years. It was it was intense to like. Right. Well, I, I'm not really, my nature is not being an administrator, you know, and I kind of found that out from doing that. I think I'm a good uh, community organizer, though. 
That's good. But we were kind of going different directions and it, it just ended up, um, you know, I, I just separated myself from it eventually. For the better. It broke off. And the Perfect Fifth actually still exists. Yes. And they're nominated for a CPMA, I believe. Yeah. I think, well, it exists in uh, Mechanicsburg now. Justin yeah. and Molly, who were teachers that I had, um, they um, basically acquired the name eventually. And and now it's it's a still going, you know, yeah. it's it's different. It's a little bit different, but it's it's still going. They're doing a good job and there's a lot of teachers, you know. So um and so by that time, the four years afterwards you you uh separated, you found Fedge and decided to put together a rush tribute band. Well, it, after the perfect fifth, I started actually teaching at the Pollock Center. Oh, that's uh in Camp Hill. And that that's where I taught there for a while. And it actually worked out that um, I left the perfect fifth because shortly after um, my wife got this job offer for L'Oreal, which is an awesome company. And she had to move to New Jersey for it though. So we ended up moving to New Jersey. So it, it kind of worked out because it would have been very difficult to leave the perfect fifth. Right. You know, if to do that, you know, but um, what, what was the question you had? Uh, Rush. Rush, oh, yeah, Rush yeah, Foundation. Rush, Rush. That all started, um, it was, in my mind, it was the Time Machine tour that really planted the seed in my brain for that. Um, I remember, I, I was a Rush fan for a while. You know, I liked 2112. I remember studying that album a little bit when I was a kid. My cousin Aaron, uh, I remember even earlier than that, when I think I was about 13, he gave me a cassette of Chronicles and was like, I'd never heard Rush before that. And he gave me a cassette of Chronicles and he was like, this is the greatest band that's ever existed. And I listened to it and I was like, eh, it's pretty good. Because at that point, I liked nudely Eddie Van Halen stuff, you know, and Steve Vai, and it wasn't nudely enough for me. But, you know, something about that music, it stuck with me. And I realized that later on during the time machine tour when when we went to see them with my my cousin or julie's cousin jason we went to jones beach amphitheater which is beautiful and they they were playing basically the time machine tour they played um their i believe it was their most current songs all and then it went backwards from there and i just was like oh my god i these songs have resonated in my brain and i didn't even realize it like Songs like The Trees and, you know, Limelight and The Spirit of Radio. I, I was like, I, I didn't even, I don't know how to really explain it. Right. I did go to the um, Test for Echo tour, though. I remember doing that while I was living in Seattle. And that was, the, then after that tour, they stopped for like five years because Neil's family passed. So 2011, I think, is when the Time Machine tour was. And then, uh, so fast forward, you you put together this Rush tribute band. How did that start? You uh, mentioned Fedge, the drummer. Yeah, and well, because of the Time Machine tour, I was like, Rush, Rush, Rush. <laughs> you know, it was, and I remember um, our friend Mike Waskovich, who he'd probably be a good interview on here. Um, Mike's a drummer, and he also has a studio. Um, Mike, I think, was getting married, and he was having a party at his house, and I'd met Fedge before, like I think we'd all played at the Arts Fest, so I'd met him a couple times. 
Um, but at that point, um, he, Mike was like, hey, you guys like both love Rush. You should meet each other. And so I, that's where I really met Fedge, um, I think, for the first time. I may have done something with him at the Perfect Fifth, too, and we played a couple Rush songs. But I just didn't think of starting a Rush tribute band at that moment. But Fedge and I talked about it at that and at that party. And then we kept talking about it. And then a year later, we ended up having the first practice. And uh, it wasn't the current lineup. I think Mike Bitts was there from the beginning. But we had like a keyboardist and a different singer. And eventually, Julie sat in with us on one of our rehearsals. And... You know, she'd sung a couple Rush tunes in the Julie Schreiber band because we did a lot of covers. And so she sat in and did a great job. And uh, she goes upstairs and because we always rehearse at Fedge's house. And Mike Bitts is like, uh, we should just have her sing in the band. <laughs> and that's really how we all got together. I would say, though, I, as a side note, um, I don't think we we don't really talk about the band doesn't really talk that much about, you know, who started it, who's the co-founder or any right. of that stuff. We're kind of like a family. And I think we realize we have this really nice chemistry together where we all want the same thing. But I would say though, like Fedge, he is out of all of us, the biggest Rush fan. I mean, he knows, he studies their set lists and he like, it just is, he loves Rush. He's been to, so many tours so i mean he is the biggest rush fan and like really kind of uh does a lot of the guiding of the ship in that band you know and he puts a lot of work into it you know so tell so me i have we, to give him kudos <laughs> we have well, um we have one of the uh covers that you do with solar federation uh working man tell me what goes into creating uh a cover of rush for you guys well, I mean, our, our our point of doing these covers is to get as close as we can and be in, as accurate as possible to take, you know, when a Rush fan comes in, we want to take them to Rush La La Land, you know, where they're like, they can close their eyes and feel like they're listening to Rush. You know, I, I, we're, we're not Rush, but, not of course. you know, we're trying to do our best to, you know, do uh, do it justice. So with that in mind... See if you can imagine Rush with Working Man.
It's all the moderation. You heard it right there. So hopefully that gives you a little a little taste of what uh, Solar Federation is and what Rush is as well. So tell me, you you guys as as Rush, you're, you're one of uh, a notable Rush tribute band. Tell me some of the experiences, the highest experience that you got to do. I, you know, I would say um, one of the most notable experiences was doing the uh, <clears throat> the Neil Peart Memorial. And it was called A Night for Neil. And it was at the Meridian Center in Canada on, I believe it was October 22nd of last year. <clears throat> and it was actually supposed to happen in 2020. But we all know what happened then. Yeah. And that, <laughs> so that put it off for a while and it kept getting rescheduled and we were worried it wasn't going to happen. But then eventually it did. I remember uh, two weeks before that came up, I was absolutely terrified. Mm-hmm. I was, I would, I could not sleep. I mean, because I was like, we're going to be playing at Neil Peart's Memorial, or, or I mean, the, the closest thing to a public official memorial that, that there is and has been, you know, at this arena for thousands of Rush fans that know every note you're playing, you know, and I was like, I, I've never played in that kind of a setting before with that big of a stage. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to react to this. You know, am I going to pass out on stage? <laughs> I'm going to panic and make mistakes and be a big snowball. Yeah. And uh, so I was having trouble sleeping and, you know, then, and, oh, and one side thing that happened during that was speaking of COVID, um, our, our bass player uh, gets COVID um, I think it was like the month he got it two weeks before the show. Oh, great. And we're like, oh, no. Like, what are we going to do? But it basically happened where he was not contagious and he was back to normal by the time we had to go up. Yeah, that's good. But that was scary. Yeah. But we get there and we're, um, we see the enormity of this arena and the the lighting show and the big screens. And I think it dawned on all of us than what we were going to be doing. And I mean, Neil's family was there to watch. Uh, Peggy Jaconi was there to watch. Um, lots of Neil's friends. And a lot of our fans that we see all the time at shows actually were there as well and came up to the stage when we played to support us, which was awesome. And But it was, we were there all day. And you guys were the headliners, right? Yeah. yeah. So we, we got there at like 8.30 in the morning and stayed there until we played it i think it was around nine something at night and then we played like about an hour or something set and it was such a relief to it we i think we played very well you know we we practiced so hard for that and we played the necromancer which i'm always terrified to play that song (laughs) because it's like so long and it's got so many facets to it and we we really i think we did a pretty good job on everything and once it was done, I think all of us were just like relieved that we were able to pull it off, you know. And uh, one weird thing, though, was I wasn't used to Canadian fans. You know, when we were at the arena, I'm looking out at the audience and I'm like, oh, man, I don't think they like us. You know, because oh, yeah. there was like a huge group up at the stage and, you know, you kind of get the impression that they like you. Yeah. But then the rest of the arena were like sitting and watching. And I'm like, oh, man, they don't like us. And then afterwards, I asked a couple of people and they're like, oh, no, no, no. The Canadian fans are just very polite. They'll sit there and, and watch and be very polite. And I'm like, That's okay, so interesting. okay. That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's just, uh, it's different in the U.S. Like, well, yeah, because the U.S., they really like to party. 
So yeah, but I mean, um, I, I I'm pretty sure the Canadian fans uh, liked us. So that's good. But that was that was one of the most terrifying and awesome things I think we've in my life for one, um, but also as Solar Federation. I mean, it was just such an honor to do that. And so uh, we're kind of rounding out our, our time here. We'll, we'll have to have you back for another episode because you just have so much to tell. I'm into it, man. Yeah, I'm I'm into it too. I'm I've been I didn't realize an hour went by. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I yeah, didn't realize either. You guys are up for a CPMA. Yeah, we, we actually um, we got nominated last year and won, which was an honor, especially against some of the people that uh, that were also you know um, nominated. And then this year we're nominated. I mean. Who knows? Who knows, right? But um, I know Thursday. It's I think just to be nominated and then the the party that they uh, you know the whole ceremony and everything. It's just it's it's I like seeing all these familiar faces that I haven't seen for a while. It's you know? a it's a great night of reconnecting, and um, it it's happening this Thursday again at uh, over at Hershey Theater. Um, tickets are. Th- Thin, thinning out, and so if you want to go there, and there's also pre pre party, after party. Aren't you up? I am You're nominated for, as I well. Am. That's right. I'm nominated for the best music podcast, uh, best local music podcast, something like that, yeah. against Dark Earth Daniel and uh, the I, I forget the other one. It's it's the drummer with with Nate. I can't mm-hmm. remember exactly what it is. I'll I'll I'm gonna kick myself. And I'm sure they'll kick me for it too. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I wish you luck. Thank you, thank you very much. I'm I'm really excited just to go and uh, see everybody that I've had on the show and see more people that uh, have yet to heard of me yet. They they do it up real nice there. They really do. And I I don't think we're gonna I don't think Julie and I are gonna go to the after party because we've got to get a good night's sleep because we have a show the next day. Yeah. So. Uh, this is a time where uh, you guys and the audience can ask questions for Eric, and we'll get around to him. I have questions that I'm going to ask. Uh, we'll have him again in the future to can expand on Solar Federation, expand on a few of the other things we had to uh, bypass for this episode. Do you, do you mind if I plug sure, um, go Mickey's it. Black Box? Yeah, go for it. So we're playing. Um, That's this... actually a nice question. Oh, we're <laughs> <laughs> <I> guys playing. <laughs> yeah, we're so we're playing at Mickey's Black Box um, this Friday. And Mickey's Black Boxes and Lidditz. Yes, a great space. Yeah, I, I love uh, some of the venues that are popping up are wonderful. That's one of my favorite to play. It's so beautiful and it's honors music and the staff is awesome. They have great food and drink and everything. And the stage, I just, uh And the, and the many ways you can uh, layer that stage too. The, the uh, mechanics of that stage is incredible. Yeah. Uh, Incredibly, shout out to to Mike Tate and all of his <laughs> doings over there. Yeah, it's incredible, and plus, like to perform on a stage that Yes performed on, and so uh, many more great yeah. bands are going to play on as well. Yes, uh, it's yeah, an honor. Mm. So, tell me, you you mentioned the techniques that uh, you were figuring out, learning, and then trying to expand on. What are some of the techniques that you still are working on, or you still want to achieve? Um. I think I want to enhance my ability to improvise because as far as techniques, you know, um, I I can do most of the guitar techniques. Some may be rusty, but I know how to do them. Mm. And like maybe sweeping and alternate picking and all that stuff. But I, I think it's my ability to improvise, 
you know, on the spot. I want that's one of the things I want to enhance more. It's always it's always interesting as a piano player myself. Whenever when someone looks at you and says "go," and you're like, "Oh, I don't know if I can." <laughs> yeah, Bill Evans, the famous jazz pianist, like he, that guy is such a great improviser. Um, he's one of my my favorite piano players in jazz to listen to. So as a as a music instructor for over twenty plus years, what is one of the most instrumental pieces of advice you give to students? Ah, it's a good question. I would say that um, one thing I I tell my students is find your passion in life and go for it. Because I would rather, and who knows, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I would rather fail at what I love to do and spend my life pursuing that than to do something I hate to do. Right. Yeah. And and this is and and that goes beyond music, really. Uh, if because sometimes people think they're passionate about music, but then they find something that's even more so. Yeah. Uh, and it, you're right. Find something that you're passionate about uh, and make it work. We wouldn't have the big institutions that we do have, like like the Academy or or uh, Hollywood, for example, if there weren't people that weren't not passionate about what they do. And there would be no DC Comics, no 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 culture, really, if yeah. if and no no industry for that matter, if people weren't passionate and just worked at it constantly. And America is a great place to do that because yeah. hard work pays off here. Dream, dream big and go for it. I mean, I think it's a good idea to choose something you have a talent for. Oh, of course. You know? Yeah. But um, I think just, you know, go for it. Go for it. Because Who would have thought, like, I think when we started this Rush Tribute Band, who would have known we were going to be, have the, we would have the honor of playing at Neil's Memorial, you know? I just. I think we were all surprised. No, I was surprised when I started this podcast and I reached out to some of the bigger acts, like I mentioned Snarky Puppy, uh, when when the, the the music was playing. But even like people like Daryl Davis or Catherine Britt, uh, some of the people that I found on the show, that uh, and some of the people that I'm going to have on the show that have said yes to it, I never would have thought. I've only done this since the past April. It's not even been a year yet, and I've yeah. been able to capture these incredible musicians and. The only reason why I was able to do that and talk to these people and connect to these people is because I just started and I'm passionate about it. You can do anything if you just start and it never hurts to ask. It never hurts to ask all. And you know this as well uh, from asking Steve I and asking all these people. It never hurts to ask. The worst they can do is say no. And uh, the best thing that can happen is the best thing that can happen is say, is that say yes. And some and sometimes they say yes. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, it's uh, just go for it. So next time we have you on, we're gonna. I want to dive more deeply into the music education and also more of the rush stories because I know you have a lot of them. There's a lot. <laughs> and um, so you can find Eric Worsing. Where can people find you at? You have a website, SolarFederation.com. I think probably the best place to go is uh, either my Facebook page um, or uh, Solar Federation. Um, I have EricWorsing.com. Mm. But it really, if you go there, I just have a coming soon page up with like my social links. I just haven't gotten around to rebuilding my website, you know, and I'm a perfectionist. So, oh, me too. Like I won't get my website up until like I, it's, it's everything's in place and I want it, you know, it's in my, and Julie, no, Julie's like, too. Eric, just get your website up. 
that's I mean, me too. I mean, I had I had to have a person kick me in the butt to start this podcast because I was such a, a visionary. I wanted to at the end of the show have like a live performances with me playing piano and, and playing other people's song and just have it like be like a kind of like a tonight show kind of the thing where the band plays whatever. But uh, you can always build up to that uh, yeah. kind of thing. And so that's that's another piece of advice uh, that I'm going to give to everyone who wants to start something. Start from where you can, because the best place, the best time to start something is yesterday. Right. Exactly. So with all that said, be sure to find uh, Solar Federation at solarfederationband.com. Uh, they have their show this Friday. I have a YouTube page as well. There's a bunch of videos on there. Uh, all that stuff. I think the links to that are on uh, at my website. You know, YouTube, Twitter, all that stuff. And that's Eric Worsing. That's W-I-R-S-I-N-G.com. You can right. find him there. Uh, my name is Corey Rosen. This is the Story Podcast. You can find me at CoreyRosenProductions.com. That's C-O-R-Y-R-O-S-E-N Productions.com. We can find out more about my personal projects as well as all past 143 now episodes of the Story Podcast. It's impressive. Thank you very much. And uh, this Thursday, once again, I want to plug the CPMAs uh, that's over in Hershey. Please be sure to go if you're a musician. You ha- you. Yeah, it's a competition, quote unquote, and I, I know there's some controversy about that, but it's that's not, it's not really what it's about. It's about recognizing the local talent here, of which there is a lot, and everyone that's nominated, it, it's it's a it's a it's a tough win. It's not an easy win for sure. It is. Uh, yeah. Every band that's been nominated has earned has earned a nomination and will earn their award. It's a, a great program for recognizing local talent, and it helps us musicians to get some notoriety, some. Uh, some validity to our claims and uh, some establishment to our names. Uh, So it's a great, really, it's a really great program. Going to be a really great night. Uh, This is their fourth. I believe so. Yeah. And they're going to be having some great uh, performances from the inductees too, uh, from the hall of fame. So it's just going to be a great night and a great networking opportunity. And if you can't go to that, do the tickets, please go to the uh, pre pre party or after party. They're free. Uh, the after party is at the Englewood. So, and it's a great spot as well. So, just I love the Englewood too. Go. This Friday, we're having Stephen Courtney on. He is a children's musician, uh, an adult that does uh, children's music. Um, he has five songs on Sesame Street, and he has had his own award winning TV show. And we're going to be getting, continuing that story on Friday at 10 a.m. So, please be sure to tune in for that. Then this Sunday, we have Conrad Fisher, a, a great Christian artist in the, in the Harrisburg area. He's doing some incredible stuff uh, over at Ragged Muffin Hall, where he purchased a, a, a Presbyterian church and turned it into a, a, a really cool performing venue with some big names coming into that. I'm really excited to talk to him about that. Next Monday, we have Kid Rose, a, a, a local a, a rapper in the area, trying to make a big difference in, in the urban scene here. Then Tuesday, I've got nothing. And uh, next Thursday, I have uh, Lancaster Bible College's own Rob Bingley and Ellie Hoover, who run the Trust downtown. That is, it used to be the old Fulton Bank uh, down, and they've converted that into an amazing concert hall uh, where a lot of recitals and a lot of high profile classical uh, musicians come through to, to, you know, perform. And it's a great, wonderful spot. And I'm really excited to hear about uh, that whole story. 
with all that said oh before we go i want to plug in our new uh things that we have going on here at story podcast because i'm becoming on episode 150 new merchandise will be coming out with the 100 I guess 100 through 150 on the back right now uh we have the past two hoodies on, on sale on uh the website so if you have been on uh, an episode of this podcast or are a fan of this podcast, please be sure to go buy some merchandise. It really helps me out and, and it helps me grow this podcast. If you really want to support me, that's the best way to do so. Uh, upcoming, we, uh, we still have single and album reviews coming out where we review singles and albums from the local area and give them some uh, much needed attention to the local scene. And upcoming, we have our songwriter studio starting up where we grab two or three, four musicians of different genres. We sit them here in this table and we crank out a song within an hour wow. live. That sounds really cool. And it, it's really exciting. I'm really excited to get that started because we have a lot of a lot of the former guests are very much for it. So we can we we're going to have we might have maybe my John Miles who's an accordion player with Cody Tyler, who is a country singer. And then we have uh, maybe Anthony Paracini, who's an incredible guitarist as well. And we're all going to see what happens. So if you want to learn more about that, please go to our website, CoreyRosenProductions.com. With all that said, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of the day, and we will see you guys later. Bye.